You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Catfishing the IDF, Charming Kitten uses itself as bait. Facebook and Google face scrutiny over sharing users' information with third parties. The Pirate Bay is back after its hiatus and it's back to crypto jacking. The European Parliament voted today to reopen debate on its controversial copyright legislation. ZTE received some perhaps temporary, perhaps more enduring relief from U.S. sanctions. And confusion to the Muggalos facial recognition software. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, July 5th, 2018. The Israeli Defense Forces say, according to reports in Info Security magazine and elsewhere, that Hamas has succeeded in compromising smartphones belonging to Israeli soldiers by using fictitious profiles, catfish, on a dating app. Several hundred soldiers are said to have been affected in what the Israeli Defense Forces are calling Operation Broken Heart. The catfish then invite the soldiers to download a malicious app, either romantically themed, like a dating app called Glance Love or sports-themed, especially ones that offer World Cup updates like Golden Cup. One gambit the catfish use is claiming to be a recent immigrant to Israel, which is intended to explain the sometimes imperfect Hebrew they write. The payload carried by the Trojanized apps is interesting and conveys a sense of what the attackers are interested in. The malware is believed capable of turning on device microphone and camera and of accessing phone and email contacts. There seems to be particular interest in soldiers stationed near Palestinian territories and, of course, in gathering any information available on Israeli military installations. The Iranian threat group Charming Kitten is building bogus websites purporting to be connected with Clear Sky, the Israeli firm that's been tracking Charming Kitten for some time. Clear Sky says the malicious site uses the URL clearskysecurity.net. The fishbait being dangled is Clear Sky's reporting on the Iranian APT. The threat group copied pages from Clear Sky's public reports and changed one of them to offer a sign-in option. Facebook has received unpleasant scrutiny over its sharing of data with third parties. It appears that Google may have shared data originating with Gmail users. In this case, Google has enabled certain developers to access not just Gmail metadata, but the contents of emails themselves. 
It seems that Gmail users gave Mountain View permission to share reading rights to their emails when they agreed to the end-user license agreement. It's worth reflecting on how the purveyors of Gmail monetize it. This would appear to be one way, and as is so often the case, the small print of the EULA giveth to others because it taketh away from the user. But the users did agree to it, after all. You may recall that the Pirate Bay had been offline for about a week. It's returned. Unfortunately, it's returned with a little something extra. A quiet cryptojacker added to its features. This isn't a first for the Pirate Bay. It installed crypto miners in its users' devices back in September of 2017, but soon stopped the practice after users complained. But, of course, users probably shouldn't be surprised that Pirate Bay would return to its cryptojacking ways. The European Union today resumed deliberation over its proposed copyright law, regarded by opponents as a meme killer at the very least, and possibly worse. At issue in the vote today was whether to reopen debate on the law, which the European Parliament's Legislative Committee had passed. The full Parliament voted to reopen debate by a 318 to 278 majority, and so the bill will not be fast-tracked, the normal course of EU legislation. Sir Paul McCartney likes this particular law, but others do not. Wikipedia's Spanish, Italian, and Polish language service has been suspended in protest. The two most controversial aspects of the legislation are Articles 11 and 13. As explained in TechCrunch, Article 11 would impose what amounts, critics say, to a link tax that would hit news aggregators particularly hard. Article 13 would impose direct liability on platforms for their users' copyright infringements. This would push them strongly in the direction of pre-filtering content, a very difficult thing to do without doing harm to fair use and even free speech. Wikipedia's Jimmy Wales was particularly scathing in his response to EU tweets, suggesting that anything covered by Creative Commons would remain untouched. Mr. Wales doubts this, to say the least. In a very rough-and-ready way, the recording industry and some big publishers have lined up in favor of the law, with the tech industry and a broad spectrum of Internet users lined up against it. The law's target seems to be YouTube more than anything else, but there are a great many other interested parties. The availability of malware toolkits makes it easy for even unsophisticated attackers to spin up effective campaigns. Gaddy Neve is Advanced Threat Prevention Evangelist at Checkpoint Software, and he offers his perspective on these tools, including how more of them are taking advantage of open-source resources. So I think we're in a very interesting point in time. Microsoft purchased GitHub, which is uh, the best uh, repository for code sharing. And so I guess for it will be very interesting to see the, the coming future of how, how Microsoft ownership of GitHub will affect the sharing of uh, code between companies in general. Uh, but definitely we see that we're always uh, one step back from the adversaries, which they always use to share data and their code and reuse code as much as they can through uh, open source repositories uh, like the Metasploit project, uh, Kali Linux, which is is used uh, actually by, by us defenders and penetration testings, but definitely all these tools are uh, allowing attackers to get them and, and to start uh, using it from scratch. So I can say that attackers were always using 
code sharing repositories used by the good guys as well as the bad guys. And uh, they're stepping up their game with uh, with a GitHub uh, code that's, uh, for example, the reflective DLL injection code that you can find in GitHub is used by attackers. We can see obfuscation techniques for JavaScript that is used by uh, commercial purposes to keep your IP safe. Uh, is also used by uh, similar techniques are used by attackers. And there's lots of proliferation between the good guys and the attackers. And so how does this affect uh, the ability to protect yourself against these hackers? Is it, I mean, when, when you go in and reverse engineer things, is it a matter of saying, ah, yes, uh, we recognize this code? Uh, true, very true that when it's open and uh, sourced and made public, it's always easy to find uh, signature the signature to, to prevent it. Uh, but actually what we see that is used is mostly the grayware or stuff that can be considered very legit when used by uh, one uh, company, but the adversaries can use them uh, as an attacker. And that's kind of the hardest dilemma for security vendors when you have a software that can be used for legit, legitimate purposes. For example, even Bitcoin mining that we're seeing now, there's some very good uh, usage for this uh, technology. As, as we can see, but there's definitely adversaries that are putting infected computers with this technology, and then you, can, you can't uh, decide if it's a malicious or, or a legit software, what we call sometimes potentially unwanted software, etc. So we see that very often uh, these bad guys are using uh, toolkits to put together their code. I mean, does the, the availability of these open source tools, does it lower the bar? Does it make it easier? Uh, the, the point of entry is easier for folks who want to do these bad things? True. Uh, as the availability of, of these uh, toolkits and open source projects, uh, the attacker doesn't need to have the whole attack chain uh, created by himself. Uh, but he just need to add the latest exploits, sometimes the exploits that are living nation state actors. And these attackers can utilize these into their existing toolkits and create a very damaging effect. As we've seen in the WannaCry, they incorporated into their toolkit just the new exploit, the double pulsar and the eternal blue family of exploits in order to make it uh, wormable. They always just add one step to their arsenal. That's Gadi Navet from Checkpoint. ZTE gets enough relief from U.S. sanctions to update some of its products. The company's fate and those of other Chinese device manufacturers will be affected by the Sino-America trade war that may or may not be in the offing, and more immediately by whatever sanctioning provisions the U.S. Congress leaves in the 2019 Defense Authorization Act. Finally, there's been much talk of facial recognition software and the sometimes useful, sometimes problematic applications it offers. How can it be used? What might defeat it? We'll leave uses aside for the moment and consider a new method of defeating it. Blogger and privacy researcher Techion has described it, and you juggalos and juggalettes out there will be pleased to learn that you're ahead of the curve. That's right, insane clown posse makeup does the trick. The sharply contrasted black-and-white cosmetics seem to defeat most facial recognition software. We're having a difficult time figuring out a use case for this dodge, since juggalos and juggalettes aren't by any reasonable measure inconspicuous. 
CaesarNet has some speculation about people getting into military installations using it. Now, sure, probably the MPs, SPs, Marine Guards, and so on would ask a question or two if a juggalo presented himself at the gate in full regalia. But suppose, what if, someone used military face camouflage to achieve a similar effect? We're not sure that would work, since face camouflage is designed precisely to achieve a vague, blended effect, quite unlike what the insane clown posse wears. Clearly more research is needed in this matter. But we can think of one good use case. It's now possible to attend an insane clown posse concert while going unrecognized by any automated surveillance that may be in use. Something to think about, Barker, the next time you're wailing on your axe. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Uh, Justin, we have stories come by pretty regularly about quantum computing and how that's going to change things. I'm curious, uh, from your point of view as an incident response guy, how are you preparing for this? Is this really on your radar? This is absolutely on our radar. So Accenture recently introduced what we call the security tech vision, which is a look at, at the future. And the thing we've done is, is we've essentially put out a, an argument that the proliferation of quantum computing as we know it, when it becomes generally available, and there are people that think it's two years, there's people that think it's four years, the people think it's eight years. Hmm. Regardless of how many years it's going to take to to have quantum computing generally available, it is going to really radically change the game. And the reason that, that we think that is that cryptographic systems today, whether it be SSL, 
be it your identity, be it even blockchain, the way that uh, the algorithms work in order to create a faux currency, if you will, will be essentially vulnerable. When someone's explaining about SSL or encrypting your email, oh, don't worry, no one can break it. It'll take hundreds of years using conventional means. Well, that's using conventional means. And the minute that a vendor comes out with truly a generally available quantum uh, computing technology, those hundreds of years via conventional methods will be able to be compressed down into seconds or minutes. What I worry about is two things. The first is governments and militaries that will get early access to quantum computing if they don't already have it today. This is quite a powerful capability that nation states and militaries will highly seek after to have in front of the commercial. And the first nations to truly get this and operationalize it, it will be weaponized. So that will put um, people's lives in danger and it really will upend uh, diplomacy even as we know it. And being able to decrypt any cable or transaction from other nation states will truly change the world stage. And the second thing that I worry about is once this becomes uh, generally available, once that switch is turned and, and the first organizations start to get their quantum computing devices or their computers, they will also have to uplift all of the, the rest of their infrastructure. That's great that it's commercially available. That means other people, perhaps even in the cloud, can now do the same things that the military can. They can crack something within seconds instead of hundreds of years. And just because that is available, conventional computing, think of your ID, uh, your intrusion detection system, think about your, um, your logging systems, the way that you do analytics today, all of those, the, the, the capability isn't rendered useless. It's the amount of data, the sheer amount of data and computing that you would have to view that the adversary could have. From a commercial standpoint, when this is generally available, it is going to be a, a, truly a game changer. That means that there has to be this cascade effect across the entire industry. Now Cisco needs to come out with quantum routers, and now FireEye needs to come out with quantum malware detection capabilities because they simply won't be able to protect themselves using conventional cryptographic means. When this comes, I really hope that not just security, but society is ready for that leap. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And that's the CyberWire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.